Well, we're shifting gears a little bit in our Wednesday night study. Uh, we've gone from hermeneutics, uh, with the idea being that we take some practical tools in, in our Bible reading, that we'd find the joy, uh, again, of, of getting into the Word of God in a deeper way, and that we'd apply some of those things as we turn now to the book of Ephesians. And so if you weren't uh, with us last night... Uh, just a heads up, Kyle and Ben are going to be tag-teaming uh, the book, and they're going to be using John Stott's little booklet uh, that basically just asks questions of the text. And so it's a good way to study. It's a good way to get into it together, and I hope that you enjoy it. So without further ado, here's Kyle from last night. Out of my mind when I, I think of Ephesians. What? The armor of God. That's not even one of the two things that I think of, but that's a really strong one, so... Um, chapter 5 uh, is a lot about um, marriage. And so I, for whatever reason, I, I like to pick on that chapter a lot and whenever I give a sermon too. And so that's one of the things that I think of in Ephesians. And then also um, it's about grace and not works. It's about this faith, that, this grace that God gave us through faith. And not works in chapter two. Um, so that was the other thing I was going to mention that um, is all what I think of consider of Ephesians. And so, so let me read. So we're going to go into a little bit deeper than just those individual topics, okay? Um, and you might find out that there's a whole lot more to Ephesians than just that stuff. So I'm going to read what John Stott wrote here. So. How quickly we forget what is ours when we become followers of Jesus. Paul delighted in reminding the believers at Ephesus about the spiritual blessings that were theirs because they belonged to Christ. But these blessings were not for them as individuals, nor are they for us alone. They belong to the church. Our tendency is to proclaim individual salvation without moving on to the saved, saved community. Christ died to purify for himself a people that are his very own. And that's in Titus 2.14. Ephesians is the gospel of the church and to the church, God's new society. So his question that he asks is, how does being part of a Christian community help you to see God at work? How does being part of a Christian community help you to see God at work? People are more often to share what Freely talk about how you've been blessed by, by Christ. Right, right. Yep. Yep. Is that for all churches? I don't know. Well, <laughs> I was just, just going to say, um, I think that that's a really healthy um, activity within good churches, um, but there's probably a lot of churches that are almost closed off to sharing feelings and stuff like that and what God has done in our lives. So, um, Jacob. Uh, I was a uh, patient. I have to find, learn how to be patient. Sometimes, sometimes I really struggle with that. Right, right. There, that's just what Rhonda was talking about. We can share weaknesses to one another and know that none of us is perfect, but we have a perfect Savior. So, what else? Well, how does being part of a Christian community help you to see God at work? To see the different gifts that God's given people. 
Yeah, absolutely. Because we're all part of this body of Christ. We're all... Paul's a metaphor of the body. Yeah, yeah. A different part working together for the glory of God, right? We're um, in the encouragement of one another. And so that's really important. Yeah, yeah, you bet. Okay, let's read. So um, in this first part of Ephesians, Paul addresses some of the benefits of being part of a community, a Christian community, um, and helping see, um, of noticing where God is at work. So, um, Ben, would you read Ephesians 1, verses 1 through 10? Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasures of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time, he might gather together in all, it, to gather together in one all things in Christ, both you, which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. Okay, so... So just from the beginning of the book, we know that Paul wrote this, right? And he wrote it by the will of God um, to the saints who are in Ephesus. Um, and some, some scholars say that when he wrote this, he wasn't meaning that it would just be for the churches in Ephesus, although he highlights that in this, but that it was supposed to be distributed to all. And so it's not specifically... Um, it's not specifically just for the church of Ephesus. It's supposed to be distributed to all. And so, um, so he's writing this book for them. Does anybody know where Paul was at at this time? Because it's really important. Prison. Yeah. Um, if not in prison, he was in house arrest, which would be the same thing, you know, more or less as prison. Um, but actually probably chained up right next to a Roman soldier. So, or probably if he's right-handed, chained up. So, um, but anyways, so that's really important for us to understand that um, he didn't have like physical freedom. Um, he was locked down, um, treated as a criminal, um, couldn't do what he really wanted to do, and that was his missionary work and going out and meeting all these churches. And so, so remember that throughout this as he's writing this, because. We all have bad days, right? Yes. We all have bad days. But they're probably not like Paul's days of being in prison, chained to a Roman guard, um, and, uh, and then watching, looking at this book and seeing how he's writing this. So he starts out with, um, 
In verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Um, And so, he wants us to see that um, if we are a follower of Jesus Christ, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Um, So now, what John Stott asks here is that he wants us to list these blessings um, or talk about these blessings, and these blessings are in verses 4 through 8. Okay? So can any of you point out any of these spiritual blessings that he's given us, that Christ has given us? Just the fact that he chose us is a blessing right off the bat. Right, right. And when did he cho- choose us? Before the foundation. Yeah, yeah. What else? Yep, forgiven of our trespasses. What else? Is uh, predestined in verse 5 to adoption? Right. Is so separate from chose? Well, I, I have them both written down. So and it might be more of a, he's emphasizing that. Because um, it seems like that's what Paul likes to do, especially with this. Teaching is he, he emphasizes this predestined, this being chosen before the foundations of the earth. So, yep, so there's that too. Um, in verse 7, we have redemption through his blood. Um, so that's another spiritual blessing. Um, and then, oh, there's, I, I have ripped one down that, um, so it says, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. And so this grace is he's lavishing upon us. And so these are a lot of spiritual blessings, right? Um, so I'm going to read another part here from, from John Stott. So verse 3 is the first place Paul uses the remarkable expression, in the heavenly realms, which occurs five times in Ephesians and nowhere else in his letters. In the heavenly realms is neither sky, nor grace, nor glory, nor any literal spatial abode, but rather the unseen world of spiritual reality. The five uses of the expressions in Ephesians indicate that this is the sphere in which the rulers and authorities continue to operate, in which Christ reigns supreme, and his people reign with him, in which, therefore, God blesses us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Um, And so this is where... Christ reigns. And when, and we're going to get into it more, when, when you are His, there's no turning back. There's no going back. Right? That's it. So, He's King. And so, how do these blessings, um, so this is kind of interesting. Uh, so, how do these blessings relate to the past, the present, and the future? So, when we're talking about these spiritual blessings in this, spiritual, in this heavenly realm, um, in verse 4, it talks about, it relates to the past. And, and you mentioned that earlier, is that he chose us before the foundations of the world. So that would be the spiritual blessing of the past. Which is ironic. Um, because essentially, sometimes that hasn't happened, happened yet. You know, that may not even be born, you know, depending on how long the world continues on. So that was the past. He chose us in the past. So in verse 7 is the present. So can you guys pick out what would be the present 
reality um, of these spir- uh, the present spiritual blessings in verse 7. Redemption and forgiveness? Yeah. 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 Yeah, and that's what I recorded down is that um, he forgives us. And then verse 10 would be the future. So what's going on in verse 10? So what I, what I kind of wrote down here and recorded is that in verse 10, he unites us. And that will be the future of when he unites everything underneath him. Okay? So verse 4, he chooses us. Verse 7, he forgives us. And then verse 10, he unites us. Um, And this is all through that wonderful work of Jesus Christ. So, um, so I want to ask a question. And I want you to try to think as deep as you can on this, Okay? So how are you affected by the fact that God had a plan for you before the world was created? How are you affected by that? That he knew you? He chose to save you? I don't think I'm even capable of imagining that. Yeah. I mean, we're just so small compared to what he is that it just I don't know if, if I can even get my head wrapped around right right the church isn't plan B or I'm not plan B like that, that's what I think it's is it's not that I'm the center of, of salvation that's not the point but like before sin even was God knew Someday, Clint Huber would be his. Yeah. So, so you're on purpose. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, yeah, yeah, it's purpose. Yeah. It's identity. Yeah. yeah. A purpose. So, so what, what doctrine are we talking about when we're discussing this? Election. election. Doctrine of election. Yeah. yeah. And we're going to, so we're going to go into, we're going to take a sidestep from from this study, and we're going to just look at the doctrine of election, because I think sometimes it's a, it's a hard one to understand. Um, sometimes it's a hard one to defend. Um, and so we're going to look at it um, and, and see if we can help out with that. Um, so the doctrine of election um, is that God made a predetermined choice to set his love on us and establish a relationship with us. So predetermined. Um, so in essence, choosing us before the foundations of the world. So, predetermined. He was going to choose us and set, um, set his love on us and establish a relationship with us. Um, so, um, we have the doctrine of election that Paul is talking about right here. Because um, he, he, he continues talking about it um, later on in Ephesians as well. Um, can you think of any other passages within the New Testament that he touches on the doctrine of election? And saying that this predetermined choice. And, and we're probably going to get into that. But any books in particular? Romans. Romans. Romans is a big one. Yeah. So, and I, and I believe it's mentioned in Titus as well. So, um, so we, we, yep. And so we have a lot of 
New Testament books that um, talk about the doctrine of election, but did it exist in the Old Testament? Okay, so let's let's look. Yes, go. But we also have the mystery that was made known of his will. So it's part of it, like it was there, but it was also part of the mystery that was revealed in the New Testament. Right. 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 Yeah, which mine has set forth in. So, which he set forth in Christ as a, according to purpose. Where did I? I just lost my place. Sorry. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. So, yeah. So Christ is this unfolding of the fullness of time. Um, some of that mystery is being revealed. Um, so let's. Uh, so what about when we think of? Creation before we even start diving into any of these other Old Testament things. Because um, when, we, when we talk about the doctrine of election, we're saying that God is sovereign, right? I mean, that is the end result of the, or the, everything about it is that God is sovereign. There's nothing that happens that he doesn't know about. Um, everything is essentially, I, I don't know if you want to say guided by him or in control by him. Um, Charles Spurgeon said, that um, even when the ships come through the harbor um, and as they're coming through and, and the ship hits the wave and all that mist goes in the air, um, every one of those water droplets is guided by God. And, and that's what he's saying there, that the sovereignty of God. There, and, and like R.C. Sproul would say, there's no such thing as a maverick molecule. Um, God owns everything. He created everything. It's his. Um, and he even sets things in motion, and he knows they're going to happen before they happen, you know, and, and all this sort of stuff. And so, what about creation? When he created Adam and Eve, when we think about even the doctrine of election in that case, um, God created precisely what he wanted to create. He created precisely what he wanted to create. It wasn't mix everything together in a bag and, you know, and out pops this thing, he created exactly how he wanted to create it, um, in the very way he wanted to create it, um, and when he wanted to create it. It was all on purpose, every step of it. And so here in that part, we have the sovereignty of God, um, and even a, um, the manifestation of this doctrine of election in just the creation itself, because it's, it's God's work. Um, and so let's look at it. Two, two verses in Isaiah. Um, Rhonda, do you want to pull up Isaiah 46.10? Okay. And then, Clint, can you do Isaiah 55.11? Mm-hmm. Isaiah 46.10. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been done, saying... My purpose will be established, and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Right. So here we have, in the Old Testament, essentially the doctrine of election, expressing God's sovereignty here, of God declaring the beginning from the end. Um, His counsel will stand, and He will accomplish His purpose. And so His purpose, if each one of us as believers has been accomplished in our lives, is that He saved us. 
So let's look at 55.11. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Again, it's the same thing. Um, there, there's no one that's going to thwart or stop God. His plan that's been set in motion at the beginning of time is going to happen no matter what. And so, there's no, like, like we said earlier, you, if, if you're saved, it's on purpose. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't that somebody just spoke enough gospel into you and, and you're saved. No, it, that was set in motion before the beginning of time. So, before the foundations of the world, it, it, it is on purpose. All right, so. Okay. We also know that the plan for redemption is also. Absolutely. I mean, before. I mean, it goes hand in hand. Everything was planned in place. So the plan of redemption was also in place along with the plan of redemption. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. So, is the doctrine of election conditional? No. So, let's, let's look at a verse to make sure we, we understand. Is it conditional? So, is it based on conditions of some sort? Okay? Um, I keep picking on the same people. I don't know. If, Larry, do you got your Bible on your phone? Of course. Okay. <laughs> do you want to look up Deuteronomy chapter 7? Verses 6 through 8. So the question again is, is the doctrine of election conditional? Is it based on conditions? What verse did you say? Um, so it's chapter 7, verses 6 through 8. Yes, please. But because the Lord loves you, and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your father, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Okay, so why did God choose Israel? Loves them. <laughs> There's no conditions, right? He just chose them. You're my people. And there, there we have essentially the, the, the doctrine of election unfolding right there. It wasn't based on anything that Israel did. In fact, he says that they were the fewest of the peoples, the least of the people. But he just decided to choose them. So we're going to keep building on that, okay? We're going to keep building on that because this is really important for us to, to understand he said, why is this so significant for us? And why we should be just overjoyed by that. Okay? So, there's the doctrine of election existing in the Old Testament. Okay? So let's look at some passages in the New Testament. Um, Clint, can you do John 15, 16? Yep. 
Joe, do you got your Bible on your phone? John 6.37. I think that's... You want to do yours, Clint? Uh, 15, sorry, 6? 15, 16. 16, okay. Glad I asked. Um, <clears throat> you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. Okay, so the important part of that is you did not choose me, but I chose you. I chose you. So, Joe, you want to read yours of 637? All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Okay. So, here we were thinking of verses of, uh, um, when you were asking a while ago, of uh, verses that say, once, once saved, always saved. Yeah. And I know we don't like that saying, but there we have it there, you know, that... When Jesus chooses us, that's it. That's final. That's it. He's, gonna, he's not going to let any of them go. That whoever the Father gives to him, that's it. Okay? Um, and then I, I'll read. There's one in Acts. 13.48. Okay, so this one is just a little bit confusing, but um, so 1348 says, And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. So the, the part of that is appointed to eternal life believed. And so again, here we have this choosing that once Jesus chooses you, when, when that choice was made by the foundations of the earth, it's fine. It's done. So, can I ask a question? Um, what about free will? Do we have free will? I can't fly. <laughs> so, what do you mean by that, Joe? <laughs> Well, I, I can't do things as he's going through it. He's like, I, I want to believe. I want this, but my flesh says no. Yeah. And so I cannot will my will to will is what he comes up with. Yeah. And I thought that was that was really incredible. Yeah. You know, I, I just thought that's a good way to say it. He cannot will his will to will, but it will not will. <laughs> he kept going on the wills and it took me like thirty times to read it to make sense. But he's right. I yeah. Mean, I think if we look at our, our own situations, it's like, I cannot will myself to will what it won't will. Right. 
So, do we have free will? Yeah, we could either go heaven or hell. Choose Jesus or Satan. Choose, well, choose Jesus. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, do we have free will? We have free will, but God already knows what our will is. Since he already knows everything, yeah. and he knows how things are going to turn out since time is not the same with him as it is to us. He already knows how things turn out. So, do we have free will? I guess the only free will is in your mind. So I, I talked to Clint about, was that yesterday? Yeah. And, well, what'd you say? What, no, Cal, what did Calvin say? Calvin doesn't like the term free will because the Bible talks of will either being a slave of sin or yeah. a slave of righteousness. Right, right. So free will is a little difficult. <laughs> right, right. You certainly have a will. Yeah, yeah. Like, when my kid doesn't want to do something, hard to break that will, you know, like we have a will and we can choose this or that to a degree but uh, we can only do what we want to do most I think that's how I had it said to me which it was like mm, I did that because I wanted to do that most I wish I didn't want to do you know, <laughs> but it's we're only free to do what we want to do Like you said, slavery of a will. Yeah. You know, it's we're only free to do what we want to do. Right. So human responsibility, I think, is a, a good phrase for it. We are responsible for our actions. Right. Right. I agree. It's already, already predetermined because God already knows your actions. Yeah, but it doesn't mean that I'm not responsible. Of course you're responsible. Everybody's responsible for everything. That's silly. <laughs> It's a catch-22. Yeah. I heard Kirk Cameron tell a guy, he said, well, I've got free will. He said, okay, stop saying that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you see that guy's wheel spinning? Like, man. All right. Yeah. That one, All right. So, it's a, it's a touchy topic, a hard topic. Um, and, and it depends on who you're going to talk to, and a lot of it depends on does that person believe in doctrine of election or not. Or because um, I want to ask another question: um, Is the doctrine of election fair? No, I understand. I just I just ask the question. I I just want to have that discussion because we're. I, I'm just going to. You guys talk about it. So. Well, who said anything has to be fair? I think it's the biggest scandal that's ever happened. <laughs> <laughs> and I know what you're going to say. <laughs> he's got to finish it. You got to let him finish it, otherwise, he sounds like a hair okay. No, I. I yeah. Why, why is it the biggest scandal ever? <laughs> that God would take people who blasphemed his name, broken every law, who rebelled against him, and used the blood of his own son to save him. The biggest scandal in the history of earth. And and that's where I, I go, that's what Paul basically says too. Yep. Is when he's like, Jacob I have love and Esau I hate it. We're gonna get to that. Oh sorry. 
But it's like, everybody wants to look at it. She saw I hated. And they're like, outrageous. Yeah. But he's wrong. Like, we're yeah. looking at it wrong. We're looking at it wrong. And it's like, Jacob, I love. Right. 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 And there's that line where we don't ever want to cross. Do we? Which line is that? And pro- like, like an appropriate line. Well, <laughs> that's right. I, I'll just go with that, okay? Just like Clint said, we have a responsibility, right? Uh-huh. So, yeah. Um, so I was just going to bring up, so this idea is, is election fair. Um, you know, if you were ever to have that conversation with somebody, and somebody who knows the Bible pretty well, but they're still not saved, or they're mad at God, or an atheist, or whatever, um, and one of the things they're getting hung up on is this doctrine of election, you know, Hopefully this is helping you not necessarily form an argument, but actually have something to say. Um, So I'll just read to you real quick. Romans 3, um, and it's verses 10 through 12. And we've heard this several times. Okay, We've heard this several times. So as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. That's humanity. Right there. Without Christ, without God, that's humanity. Well, even with God. Without Christ, that's humanity. No one does, no one's righteous. No one does good. No, not one. That's our state. So getting back to your previous comment, question. So that atheist that doesn't believe in God, has God already predetermined that he is a believer? He just doesn't know it yet. So, then, before he dies, he comes to know the Lord. What's that supposed to be? In terms of whether it's fair or not? Well, whether it's fair or whether it's, right. you believe in, you know, in predestination or whatever you want to call it, I guess. Well, look at the writer of these books that we're looking at. Romans and Ephesians, Paul, who was actively killing and persecuting Christians. I mean, his goal was, I'm going after them as hard as I can. And Christ had to knock him off his horse, whatever, you know, whether he was riding a horse or walking or whatever, had to blind him and save him. And it's completely overturned his life. And, and we can all say, that's not fair. Paul deserved what? He deserved hell. Just like every one of us deserves hell. But God, out of his, gr- his grace and his sovereignty and his love, he predetermined that some people would be saved. So, uh, I argue with you. I agree with you 100%. Right. People, all the time, they get hung up, and I've often got hung up non-believers can be really nice. They can be nicer than we can be at times, sometimes, you know. Uh, and it doesn't mean that they can't be nice. It doesn't mean that they can't be a good neighbor. But when the greatest commandment is to love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, that's the greatest law in the whole world. And, you know, the super nice person, what's their motivation 
for being nationalists. It's completely devoid of loving the war. And so even in their niceness, a God that gave them so much grace to be this kind person and understand all of these things and be in this position, they did not even exist, you know? And so it's, uh, even their good deeds, and my good deeds apart from Christ, right, are filthy, right? They're <coughs> stained with me. Right? And I think that's a hang-up where, because I know a lot of nice non-believers. So, your mind around that. But, but how do you know that, too? Well, you don't. Right. But what if it is? Right. So, there's nothing you can do or say that would change that because you're not predestined to be a believer. Right, right. So, one of the things about this that the doctrine of election gives us, and, and I know this, maybe this doesn't make any sense to you, but um, when you think about that idea um, and that the state of humanity is lost, doomed. There's no one righteous. That the fact that God pulls out of these disgusting people and chooses to save some of those should give each one of us hope that if our kids are not saved, that we would continue praying and hoping that God will save them. It wouldn't stop. Because that's what God can do. In our absolute worst state, He can pull us out and save them just like He saved Paul. It's like you saved all of us. Um, and so that's where we can have the hope. I don't know if this is a place where you're not, but Spurgeon would say <clears throat> that God will usually use an instrument to save somebody. Mm-hmm. Most people don't get knocked off their horse and blinded by God to right. be saved. Right. Most of the time, God uses an instrument to themselves to communicate that. And there's a big distinction, too, between a fatalistic worldview, uh, which basically says, well, I can't do anything about it. Um, that, that's fatalism. Mm-hmm. Christians are incredibly hopeful for salvation because God's will is that none should perish. Mm-hmm. In the sense of uh, his revealed will is that we would go and evangelize. I mean, that's the purpose that he's placed within the church and that we would pray for the the right, right. So it's not fatalism, it's it's sovereignty. <laughs> right, right. You can certainly over apply election to, in a way that the Bible never does. That's, exactly well, that's what he said, where right. you just like, I'm not going to evangelize, I'm not going to do anything, I'm not going to pray because it's obviously God's got it all. For sure. And right. that's like we're Right. Which is deeply simple. Right. right. And that's, yeah, the Bible, I would. I was hopeful in those situations that it's uh, I think sometimes we feel like, okay, it's not, so I can't save my kids. Would we be better off if the saving of my kids is left in my hands? You know, like, we're we're fortunate, you know, it's uh, because, yeah, you can totally, I've met people who've got lost in that fatalism. And it, it's worse than somebody who's 
Then that's what it all comes back to is he, he can do it. So um, he can pull, out, pull us out of whatever we're in, the most disgusting sinner, um, and, and save them. And he does it all the time. So then we have the hope that even if our kids are lost, we can see them living a lifestyle that's just absolutely horrible and it, and it hurts us so bad when we see them and see everything that they're doing. But yet we can have hope in this God, this suffering God who has all the power in the world to save them. And so we continue praying. We continue being obedient to his will. We get on our knees and we cry and we beg and um, we continue asking. I mean, that, that's, that's the hope behind the doctrine of election. So, I also find it interesting that modern missions was created by people that hold to the doctrine of election. Yeah. William Carey, the, the father of modern missions, was a deeply committed man to the to these doctrines that we're talking about in Ephesians here. Yeah. And he and for him that was the hope when nobody was being saved in India for what three years or was it seven? I forget. Seven. Seven. seven? And he, he stayed. Like, yeah. man, I, I don't like to do something for seven days if I don't see results. So, to, for seven years, I mean, what you're saying is so true. Right. Yeah. But, even, but even here within this church, you know, um, when, we, when we think about that, that some of these missionaries went seven years, Bruchko, Bruchko was six years. Not, I, don't, I mean, I don't know if you believe in the doctrine of election, but, you know, some of these, it took a long time before they saw anything, but they remained faithful and steadfast to the Lord. Um, and that's one of the things about believing in this doctrine of election. We know that we need to be obedient to God, but it's up to Him to change hearts. It's up to Him to start revealing His Word to people. You know, we just have to express it and show it, you know. Um, it's never an excuse not to be nice or faithful evangelism. Right, right. So, yeah, that's, that's an awesome thing about this. What they told William Carey is God will save the, God will save the heathen when he's good and right. Yeah. We'll do it without you. That's what they told William Carey. Huh. Yeah, he was being cursed to be like. Yeah. Hmm. All right, so let's, let's look at one last passage, and I know we maybe we beat this to death, but. We're just going to look at it so that everybody realizes where it's at. So it's the Romans chapter 9, um, verses 6 through 26. And I'll read that for you. So th this is, uh, <laughs> um, it almost seems like Paul's having an argument, okay, um, of, uh, of this doctrine of election. Okay, so let me, let me read through that. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year I will return and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, Though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, 
but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But, but who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even as whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. As indeed he says in Hosea, those who, are, who were not my people, I will call my people, and her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said, to them you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. I know that's a lot there. Um, but it sure seems like Paul is defending this doctrine of election right there. Why did God choose Jacob over Esau? Because. Because he has every right to do that. Since he's the potter. Um, and God will have mercy on whom he chooses to have mercy. And compassion on whom he chooses to have compassion. I think it's interesting too in verse 20, 20 after he says, Who you will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? And you're like, okay, finally he's gonna answer this. And he doesn't. Because yeah. it's it's beyond human comprehension. Right. Right. And he just goes on to say, But who are you? Right. And Paul doesn't have to do it. That was a plausible argument. What yeah, but his frustration is people are arguing with God and you. And I just think of like some little puny guy who couldn't find his way out of the paper bag, point his finger and say, You're gonna do this right now. Yeah. And the big guy goes, What about? You know? Right. Uh, his answer, what if? What if? What right. if God? And then he gives a plausible reason that makes sense, right? What if God? And he gives a plausible reason, I think it's twenty-two. And what if God and uh, it's like yeah man I've been there Paul up at night wrestling with the passage wrestling with the truth the deep truth and it's too big for me but these people have to be helped you know they have to be helped and so just remember you're small <laughs> <laughs> you know <laughs> right and, and like we said earlier, the unfair thing is that anyone would be saved. I mean, that, that's the unfair thing. So. so, let me see if I was going to write. No, we're going to. 
Yeah. Yeah, as I say, we've been, we've been yeah. dealing with all of that, you know, and then God choosing Israel, you know, whatever for. And speaking to Israel. I, yeah. I'm still stuck on that. I don't know why. Just... And, and teaching him his law and yeah. all that, yeah. Not everybody gets that. Right. That, that's a blessing. So that no other nation had. That all, all, and that, that's one thing. All other nations with their pagan gods, they had to make up rules of what they thought their God would want. Here we had a true God that gave them the law to where there was no guessing. There was no, what would this God want of me? And, you know, we may look at these rules and think like, geez, you know, God's ruining all our fun or whatever, but that's not what it was then. It was, there was, this was the only God that, of the people who knew exactly what their God wanted, so. Like, my aunt that, I don't, I don't think I told you guys about this, but my aunt got hit by a cow, um, 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 uh, really? ten days ago, and two broken ribs, and, and, yeah, and punctured lungs. Um, yeah, it was really scary. she okay? Um, yeah, she may have to have back surgery someday. Oh, really? To fix her tendon. Hmm. Because the cow came up right in the head Seems scary. So, we've kind of addressed this question a little bit, but I wanted to ask it again. So, how does the doctrine of election affect our relationship with each other? So maybe I can ask it with each other within this church when we see because remember my first question that I that I asked was how does being part of a Christian community help you to see God at work? So think of that question, Christian community. So how does the doctrine of election affect our relationships with each other? Yeah, I, in my mind, I was thinking, we're each walking, talking miracles. You know? I mean, this, this is great. Yeah, every single one of us that's saved, it's a walking, talking miracle. Blessed by God. So, remember who wrote Ephesians? Paul. Where was he at? Prison. And he's... And he's writing about the doctrine of election, which then, if, if you're thinking about Paul, and um, he knows, without a shadow of a doubt, that right where he's at is right where he should be at. And he's not mad at God. He's not crabby at God, saying, why did you put me here, chained up to this Roman soldier? Why? I could be more effective going out and meeting with these people in these churches. I could be doing all this other stuff, but yet... Right. We don't... I mean, isn't that, that just amazing? That 
And, and then he wrote 13 books of the New Testament. And here we are, you know, studying one. And how much of the world's been impacted by a lot of his teaching. And um, I, I mean, but yet we don't see Paul saying, why, God, why? I'd be better off doing other things, you know. And so within our lives and whatever we're going through, like we said, you know, when we have kids that aren't saved or um, lost their job, marriage falling apart or whatever, if you're a walking, talking miracle, man, you got so much to be overjoyed with. You might have some sin you got to deal with, maybe, but you're a walking, talking miracle. God chose you. He, he had you in his thought. The hairs on your head are numbered. Even the gray hairs and the less hair, you know. <laughs> not a sparrow falls without Heavenly Father knowing it. You know, this is... Can you just compare red hair to a sparrow? Sorry, no. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we got so much to be grateful for. Um, I've never thought of that question of how it impacts us one another, but what about loving what God loves? And so if I'm like, okay, here's a room full of Christians, and I have a disagreement with one, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, I'm not loving what God That's a good point, particularly yeah. loves. And right. so what does that say around that? Right. Um, I, know, I think he gets into unity in Ephesians. I haven't heard it, it Yeah, and... Well, and, yeah. I mean, yeah we didn't get very far, but, yeah, that'll probably be next week or later on. also how it affects us as a community. The doctrine of election should destroy any pride in us. Um, how can we look down at their noses at people who are saved 100% by the grace of God? Right. You know, and be patient and should be the kindest people Should definitely break down any like pers- I don't know if it's personality type of barriers between us, you know, or because like you know, like both of you said, it's God chooses who He wants to save, and, and obviously He loves that person, and so even if they're different, whatever barriers that He had between that person should go down, you know, and and our common belief or common faith in Christ should. Should unify us. So, yeah. So, one last thing, since we got a little bit of time. Um, so, help me out with this kind of thought process. Okay. Well, and maybe I'll just explain. Um, there's kind of two different. Maybe there's more than this, but uh, two different prominent views of election. Okay. Um, there's the doctrine of ele- the um, unconditional, the doctrine of the unconditional doctrine of election, and then the conditional doctrine of election. Okay, Con- and I'll just explain to you. I won't ask you, um, but there, there's this belief that I've held on to that got 
ejected not too long ago, um, that God, so this idea that, so God has predetermined people that are going to be saved, um, but that he looked into the future and saw that this person's faith and this person's actions um, and decided that, yep, that person is going to be saved or whatever, okay? So he looked at the future and saw that. And that's how he made the predetermined choice. Um, do you think that's correct? No. Why? Because he already knew what he wanted done. Right. Right. Then you think about that. So he looked into the future to see what he created was going to do. Right. Yeah. So he formed, right? And he. Yeah. And then he, oh, that's what, it, you know, like the. Yeah. The, he made us. Where I don't, I think if you think very hard at that, it doesn't really change. Doesn't, I don't know. He knew what the end result was before he did it. Yeah. But, you know, that, that view right there is based on conditions, right? That, um, go ahead. flips the script. Right. right? To say, Oh, God's dependent upon me. Yep, that's right. Not I'm dependent upon God. Right. Oh, God had to find out what I was going to do. Yeah. How curious he must have been looking at me. Yeah. So, um, I believe this is kind of more or less the Arminian view of, of election. Um, and, and to me, uh, Scripture just kind of... What we just read in, in Romans 9 just completely ejects that. And even in Ephesians and... Um, that God chose, regardless of what that person was like or who are. So that, that's, again, it comes back to the idea of, okay, if you have lost kids, it, it doesn't depend on them. It doesn't depend on you. You, you must be faithful and pray um, and, and plead to God, but it only depends on God. It's His choice. And so God can save anyone. Um, and, and to me, that, that brings hope. So that was just, that's a conditional doctrine of election, and then the unconditional is what we've been talking about. That just God chose. So. All right, so that's, that's all I have for tonight. So is there any questions? I got one. Um, I don't know if he mentioned this in that book or not, but verse 4 and between 5, uh, when Ben read it, they, he attached in love yep. to verse 4. Yep. The ESV attaches it to verse 5. Yep. Which one's more correct? I looked in Greek because I'm curious. Yep. And there's a comma after in love, which makes me think it should be connected to verse 4. But I, but there is no commas in the original Greek. It, it's all capital letters squished together. So that's a uh, interpretation somebody made way back then. Right. Right. And then... I, I didn't know if he mentioned something. And I was curious. He, he doesn't mention anything in that. Um, but when I was studying for this, it, well, um, I was reading up on some articles, and that's what they talked about. And, and the, the scholars said it really doesn't matter whether you put it at the end of verse 4 or, verse, or put it at the beginning of verse 5. So, um, and, and that's what they kind of came to the conclusion that, you know, it, it kind of can be interchangeable. So.
So that's. But I find that Chuck Missler wrote a book uh, against Calvinism, the position that we've kind of been discussing. He's, he called it, What Love Is This? And he basically said, how, how monstrous a God that would choose some for, for salvation and some for destruction. And in love, he predestined us, or, or he chose us in love. You know, it's right. like, ah, there is love there, tons of love. Right. God's love, not man's love. I think it's interesting, conditional versus unconditional election. Southern Baptists, we got a vote, you know, within our denomination. Mm-hmm. And, you know, get to go to the Dakota Baptist Convention and eat with these pastors and talk with them and get into it a little bit. And, like, take Mark Hill, for example. I spend a lot of that guy in right? And he, uh, get into it, get into it. He is so afraid of becoming fatalistic. He goes to an unconditional election type way of thinking. And I think lots of times that's what, it's an overreaction to becoming fatalistic. But it's, Bucks right in the way that a lot of people who believe in unconditional election are wrong. He believes what he does every day matters. that waitress he tells about Jesus that has an eternal implication. And he's right on it. And we're wrong if we don't. And so, where I, I disagree with him, and I think he's wrong. And, but, He's so right in this fight against becoming fatalistic. And, uh, and that's what I found from so many of the people within the Southern Baptist denomination that struggle with unconditional election is an overreaction because they don't want to become fatalistic. And, uh, I think remember that's out of grace now, so. Yep. Sticking out of the way, but. Hopefully that wasn't too deep. You always pick the easy stuff out. Well, <laughs> who picked Ephesians? Uh, John Sutton. John Sutton. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, we pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the scripture, Lord, and uh, this body of believers and that we are each walking, talking miracles, and uh, we should be overjoyed at that, and um, that should impact our lives as we um, have relationships with lost people, and and also relationships with with other believers and within this church. That um, all of our pride should just go away, knowing that we were chosen, with, not based on any quality of ourselves. Um, what a blessing that is um, that you have. You have granted to us, Lord. And, uh, Father, I pray that we would contemplate that through, uh, through the rest of this week. Um, that your Holy Spirit would be working in our lives and, and showing us that there is always hope um, for a lost soul. Um, no matter how um, steeped into sin they are. Um, and that you're a God that can...
conquered anything, and we should have um, believed in that, we should have faith in that, and so help us to be like that, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.